We are in the second message of a series called God Touched. It is a series on the supernatural life of the prophet Elisha. Not with a J, that's Elijah, but his successor, Elisha. And last week we talked about his calling. And God did some really amazing work. You, you may not have been able to be uh, aware of what he did, but some people made some pretty important decisions to step fully into their calling, to burn their plow, if you remember that from the, the message, and to lay down those things that allowed them to be a bridge back to their old life. They're moving forward, and, and uh, we just rejoice in that. Today is message number two, and the message is called A Season of Promotion. And I expect nothing less from the Lord this morning than what we saw last week. So look with me in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse number 1. Scripture says in 2 Kings 2, 1, when the Lord was about to take Elijah to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it. And he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them into two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him. And he went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah 
rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him, and they bowed to the ground before him. I want you to just tell the Lord you're ready to receive whatever he has to offer you this morning while I pray over all of us. He is in a generous mood this morning. He wants to bless. Oh, my goodness, I just sense so strongly. It almost feels like a um, uh, what-can-I-do-for-you morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, now put oil on the words and put oil on the hearts that will receive the words. And, Lord, increase our expectation of your goodness, your generosity, and your desire to bless with seasons of promotion those who are hungering and thirsting after you in the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. So if you have the choice, I'm just going to go ahead and assume you'd rather be promoted than demoted. Safe to say? Anybody wake up saying, man, I hope this is a season of demotion for me. I hope my life takes on less flavor, less power, less, less vibrancy, less potency. No, of course not. We, we would never say anything like that. Almost all of us would lean into being promoted by God. But I'm going to make a big statement that you've got to hear. And it's not a disqualifier, but it is a qualifier. If you're going to be one to whom God offers a season of promotion, he doesn't just toss that out randomly, arbitrarily, or casually. It only finds certain people. It finds people who, when he promotes them, they will steward it for his glory. And that is a character issue, not a competency issue. We're all about competency. Where did you go to school? How many letters are behind your name? And maybe it's competency in our education. Maybe it's competency in our experience. Tell me everything you've ever done and with whom you did it, and we'll determine if you can do this with us. Or, or, or maybe it's the outward appearance, which God's word does say that man looks upon a little bit too much. Maybe it's, okay, well, we, we want the proud, we want the big, we want the bold, we want the beautiful. And those are the ones that will get promoted. And I'm just going to tell you, none of those make the list of the qualifications that I want to share with you today. It's literally about the bend of your heart. And there's three different uh, areas that I want to talk to you about concerning what goes on in the heart of a person who is entering into a season of promotion. And the beauty is this, is if you want this, you can have this. You may have to do some rearranging and some changing, but I'm going to tell you, if you want this, and I believe in your spirit, child of God, you want to be in a season of promotion, then listen intently. Here's the first area that I'm going to highlight today. It's about our outward it's about our outward trajectory, and it's talking about our relationships with others in this principle of honor. People that walk in seasons of promotion and steward those seasons well and are entrusted with further seasons of promotion in the kingdom, they live by the principle of honor in their relationships. Let's look at this. First of all, again, the Elijah-Elisha dynamic is in play here. This is the last time we'll see Elijah in this story. So listen up as he's about to go home to heaven, but there's some things to learn. The first is this. Elisha faithfully served Elijah. 
Very simply in verse 1, here's what the scripture says. When the Lord was about to take Elijah to heaven by a whirlwind, there they are still. Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And so it's about eight years since Elisha's calling. Somewhere between seven and ten years. Let's just meet in the middle and say eight or nine years after Elisha was called by God when Elijah laid the mantle on him. Elisha has not been recorded as doing a single miracle. There's not a single thing that makes the headlines in Elisha's life for eight years, maybe as many as 10. And the Bible describes Elisha as simply the guy who served the prophet Elijah. He's seen in the next chapter as the guy who washed the hands of Elijah. He he may have carried his luggage. He may have driven him around. That's how we'd see it today. He may have made his appointments or answered his phone, those kind of things. He was simply in a servant mode. And now at the end of Elijah's amazing biblical life, This man of God is going to exit earth like only one man before him had ever done. The man Enoch was caught up by God, and Elijah is going to be number two of two on this list. He's about to get a personal private rapture up to heaven. And on that day, somehow it was made known to both Elijah and Elisha. And even some of the prophets were discerning that this would be Elijah's last day on earth. But Elisha was to the very end saying, this is my assignment. This is my master on earth. I am going to be with him. And the Bible simply says that he continued to do that until the very end. A faithful servant's heart is a foundational requirement for anybody that ever hopes to get promoted within the kingdom. But moving on, he not only served Elisha, but he stood by him relationally. Verse number two and verse number four. So just look at the scriptures very quickly. Elijah says to Elisha, I want you to stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha says, as the Lord lives, so he gives an oath there. As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I'm not going to leave you. So the Bible says, they together went down to Bethel. Then verse 4, Elijah says to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. So watch this. Even in the midst of this being the last day on earth for Elijah. I don't know if Elijah was testing Elisha. I don't know if he seriously was hoping to be alone. Maybe he was troubled or nervous or anxious about whatever God was about to do. But he was telling Elisha, go on about your way. Go live your life. You've served me well. I've got to go on a journey. And so two times he tells Elisha, I want you to go on. And Elisha just looks him in the eye and says, I'm not going anywhere. He, he, he highlights, it's, it's more than duty. It is a magnification of love. It's his relationship. He knows that his life is attached to Elijah's and God has not broken that attachment. I think it's interesting, by the way, three distinct areas are named here. You've got Gilgal, you've got Bethel, and then you've got Jericho that's going to be named also. What do those places have in significance? I think we can apply them this way. So Gilgal was that place where, as Israel first entered into the promised land, that they were uh, consecrated to the Lord afresh and anew as a nation. It was the place of fresh commitment and fresh consecration. And yet, as that represents that, the teaching might be this. Listen, as God leads you and he promotes you, you can't just stay in the place of your your consecration and your initial commitment. There's a further journey. And so that next place on the list, Elijah says, hey, we're going from Gilgal. I've got to go to Bethel. Bethel, Genesis chapter number 28, is that place where Jacob received that reaffirmation of the Abrahamic covenant. He saw the ladder going up to heaven, down to earth, angels descending on it. And God met Jacob in that amazing vision. And that affirmation. And so that's the place of supernatural encounter. 
And yet, as, as Elijah was leading, Elisha's tempted, he's taught, he said, you, you can stay here. And Elisha's like, no, we got to go on. And it speaks to me of saying, I, I've got to move on beyond the place of my initial commitment. I can't just hunker down in that place of supernatural encounter. As fun as it is, as amazing it is, as eye-opening as it is, there's something beyond supernatural encounter. And so then that place called Jericho is going to be expressed. And, and, and Elijah's going to say, I'm going to Jericho. We've got to move on from there because then I'm going to go to the Jordan. And Elisha says, no, I'm not stopping with you. Wherever you go, I am going. It's kind of like the Ruth and Naomi vibe. And, and it's the, you'll see this in Scripture. You'll see that, that people, God attaches their lives to other people, sometimes in the follower-leader dynamic. And it, it is so amazing that when that follower is loyal to his or her leader, and it could be a mentor, it could be a parent, it could be a, a spiritual leader, but whatever it is, there's a love and a loyalty there. And even Jericho, those places of big victories, is not enough. Because if that one that God has knit your heart with is moving beyond it, you don't want to stay in the place of initial commitment. You don't have to stay in the place of signs and wonders and visions and the supernatural. You don't have to stay in the place of your most recent victory. You're saying, wherever you go, I go. And that's what Elisha was doing. It was highly relational. It wasn't structural. It wasn't hierarchical. It was relational. And he devotedly stood by Elijah. And as he did so, verses 3 and 5, he loyally honored Elijah. The Bible says in verse 3 that the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he says, yes, I know. Keep quiet. That's like prophetic people, man. They always just seem to hear what God's saying. And so God is speaking this in the prophets, these schools of the prophets. There are at least different, three different schools. You got one at Bethel, you got one at Jericho. And, and these, these little young prophets are coming out and they're given their word because they got a word and they don't have a steward yet. And so they're going to Elisha, completely insensitive of his love for Elijah. And they're saying, hey, your master's going home to heaven today. They just like give the word, but they had no, no wisdom in the way to give it. And Elisha is just wanting to honor Elijah. It's not about these guys getting a word. It's not about Elisha losing his master. It's about Elijah is about to have the most significant moment in his life, and it's going to be a personal chaperoned exit out of earth by God's chariots. And so he looks at these young bucks, we'll just call them that, and he's like, yeah, man, we got the word. We know he's going home to heaven today. Why don't you be quiet? And he honors the man of God happens again at the next school of prophet and what it, what this shows us here is simply this these three things and i'm moving on elisha before his promotion showed that he could faithfully serve another the second thing was that he devotedly stood by elijah he loved him we're going to see that at the end of this passage he didn't dishonor him he didn't bow up on him he didn't want elijah to get out of the way after all it's been eight years where's my turn but it was about honoring the one that God had put over him. And then in the midst of that, when other people were wanting to flippantly talk about Elijah, hello, he defended Elijah's testimony. He said, that's nonsense talk, be quiet. Now, those may not mean a whole lot to you, but until they do, don't expect promotion. Don't expect the Lord to uh, promote you above the level of your incompetency. Because if we cannot honor each other in those ways, how will we honor him when he promotes us? It's put a different way. The New Testament teaches, if we cannot love our brother whom we do see, how can we say we love God whom we can't see? 
And so, friends, this is important. You say, Jeff, I I just thought God sovereignly promoted people. Oh, when the promotion comes, it's a sovereign act. But I'm going to tell you something. It is dependent upon how you're living prior to the season of promotion. That means we almost get to determine the timetable, or at least this. We can determine when we're not promoted. And that promotion can't come until we look around and we see that part of the call on our life is to live with a principle of honor. So I might ask you, who are you honoring? Intentionally, not accidentally. Who is God using in your life? Whom has God used in your life? Are are you honoring that person? Are you honoring them with with your servant-heartedness? Are you honoring them by, by intentionally seeking to bless them? Are you honoring them when other tongues might rise up against them? You say, no foolish talk. My friends, that's the kind of heart that God takes notice of. And he says, there's a pulse of integrity in that woman. There's a pulse in her. That pulse is in rhythm with my heartbeat. And that's the beginning. That's a foundational stage. But let's go to the second one. That one's outward. That's about our relationships with each other. What about inward? Let's talk about cultivating the substance of maturity. Let me give you a great quote from a well-revered preacher of yesteryear, Martin Lloyd-Jones who is just an incredible man of God. You ought to read everything he's ever written. That would be my advice to you. He said this, the worst thing that can happen to a man is for him to succeed before he is ready. Yeah, premature elevation. God doesn't do that. But sometimes we do. And when God wants to elevate a man or a woman, when he wants to promote that man or that woman, he's going to season the heart. He's going to make sure he infuses that person with maturity. Because if elevation or promotion comes too suddenly to a person, they're not ready for it. Look at the kings of Israel. Matter of fact, you don't even have to do Bible history. Look at your own lifetime. We see it all the time in the world of athletics. We see people that are instant millionaires. I was so proud of Deshaun Watson this week as that quarterback for the Texas Rangers takes his first paycheck and he goes and blesses the women that serve the lunch there to the Texans. That's a man who grew up in this area. His dad went to this church. He goes up to Free Chapel and he's learned some things about the kingdom there. What is it? It's a heart of maturity. It's it's to say, I've been blessed, so I'm going to be a blessing. And I love that. I'm thinking to myself, he may get the biggest contract ever if he keeps doing that kind of stuff. Why? Because God loves to promote people that are a blessing to others. So Martin Lloyd-Jones gave us the quote from decades ago, but we see it in our generation happening also. Well, let's talk about what we can learn from the passage concerning Elisha, and hopefully it'll superimpose it on your life and my life. First of all, We see in him consistency in his inward character. Here it is again. Elijah says to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives, and you yourself live, Elijah, I'm not going anywhere. And so the two of them went on. So for the third time, he refused to leave Elijah. My friends, what a temptation! But there was something that had developed in his relationship with the older prophet that he knew that Elijah might have been fine going on alone. But I actually believe two things. I believe that because Elijah was uh, about to be taken up, that Elisha knew that there was just a limited more opportunity where he could serve this man and he could glean from this man. 
His, the last decade of his life, everything he knew about ministry, everything he'd learned about prophetic ministry in the kingdom, he had learned from Elijah, and he's thinking, I've only got an hour left. I am not going anywhere, especially to hang out with those goofballs at the school of the prophets that know how to keep their mouth shut. And so now it's the Jordan River. And the Jordan River stands for transition or translation. And the Jordan River, it's a picture at times in the Bible of heaven. It's a picture at times of moving into the promised land, the land of abundance, the land of blessing. It, it, it has been a historical mark in the, in the nation of Israel up to that point. And so they're approaching that river that had been split when the priest stepped into it. We talked about that earlier today. That's what Amy was talking about. Sometimes you've got to step in before God parts the waters. And now Elijah and Elisha are right there at that place. And Elijah says, go on and go home. And Elisha's just saying, you better quit trying. I love you, Elijah. You're, I honor you, but you are not getting rid of me. I have come this far with you. I am not about to back off. We're going across that river together. And at that point, Elijah just gives up. It's I can almost see the old guy saying, well, you're a tough nut to crack, Elisha. All right, buddy, come on, come with me. But he had consistency. Anybody, many people, can resist the temptation to pull back, to depart, to go back to the old way. Most people can resist that temptation once. A few can resist that temptation twice. This is the third time Elisha has been given the liberty to act in independence from Elijah and just go back and start making it on his own. But he was compelled by love. He wasn't in a hurry to get to his own ministry. He wanted to see what God would do with Elijah, and he wanted to be there with him. And so that consistency is an important mark for those that want kingdom promotion. Let me speak to the young, and not only the young, but primarily the young. Consistency isn't glamorous. Discipline isn't neon. As a matter of fact, there is a way of thinking in the kingdom that anything that is consistent or disciplined or structured or on the clock, well, that just grieves the Holy Spirit because after all, we want to flow. <laughs> and, and there is a line of thinking that disciplined prayer time, disciplined Bible reading, Disciplined mentorship, disciplined church attendance, disciplined giving, disciplines in what you allow into your mind and into your eyes. And, and that always, and, and so easy in our day, it just, oh, that's a religious spirit. Let's just slap a label on it. Well, let me just say something. My friends, inward consistency and discipline and refusing to waffle or wobble and moving ahead, even if it's slower than, than you had hoped, but moving ahead methodically with determination, there's a blessing that falls on that that never falls upon the undisciplined. It never falls upon them. They may have quicker and higher highs. That's why they hop from conference. I'm, I'm meddling now. Conference to conference to conference to conference to get their latest hit of whatever the Holy Spirit's doing in, in that region. And they're addicted to conference hopping, but, but you talk to them about just be still and know that he's God, wake up a little bit earlier, study the Bible, and they're like, Psh. My friends, listen, if we want promotion, we have to have stability. And stability isn't zapped into you. It's kind of ground into you by the omnipotent hand of God over time. But when it's in you, it's in you. I'll just say this. We never outgrow discipline. I don't know if I believe that. Well, what's the root word of the word disciple? 
Disciple and discipline came from the same womb. And we're ongoing disciples, therefore we must be ongoingly disciplined in our approach to the kingdom. So he says, I'm going to stay with Elijah. Verse number seven. If, if that last point bothered you, this one really was going to bother you. Awareness of his public testimony. So 50 men of the sons of the prophets, they went and stood at some distance from them. They didn't want to get too close. As they both were standing by the Jordan. Okay, so they're on this side of the Jordan. And everybody's kind of wanted to get in on what's going to happen. There's kind of a little bit of a sensationalized vibe to it. What's going to happen with Elijah? We know this is his last day on earth. We hear there's going to be the big thing and God's going to take them home. So they're kind of hanging out. You know, they're the paparazzi without cameras. I mean, they're just kind of watching to see what's going to happen with Elijah and and Elisha. But but here's the point I want to make. They are watching Elisha. You got to hear me on this. When we're talking about promotion, I'm I'm really, really going to intentionally challenge some of you. Your life is not simply yours alone, cloaked, hidden, nobody else's business. That is a concept completely foreign to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're told repeatedly, we are one. That's not just some ethereal kind of mystical kind of language. That Our lives are attached to each other. We are accountable to each other. We are responsible to certain degrees for one another. And so it actually matters when we are ambassadors for Christ. It actually matters how we live. It really does. How we publicly and outwardly live, it actually matters. Now, I know that goes against kind of the, the spirit of anarchy and the spirit of hyper-independence in our day. And, and everybody, you know, they're, they're Simon and Garfunkelites. They are a rock. They are an island. They, they want to be completely left alone. The problem is, is that is antithetical to the way God has structured the kingdom. That we, we are not to be controlled by what other people think, but we are to care what other people think. Because to the degree that my life is a reflection on Jesus Christ, then I need to be intentional about what I am reflecting. If Christ's name is on my life and people know that, then what I give off is attached to his name. And so as these 50 prophets are watching, they're not simply watching the show, they're also watching what's Elisha going to do. Friends, let let me just say a couple of things here. This is so important to me, and you, you know I don't harp on this stuff a lot. But every now and then, I need to pull out the harp and start strumming. The stuff that we let into our minds, the stuff that comes through the eye gate, it is imprinted upon your brain and you never forget it. You may not be conscious of it, but it's there. And when it's there in unguarded moments, the enemy will use it. I don't know how he does it, but I do know this, that he can provoke thoughts. And if you never put it in there, then he can't ever use it. I've been disturbed over the years as a pastor by people that I know love the Lord and they're sincere in their commitment to Jesus and, and they really want to walk it out with them and they, they love worship and they love praise and they'll take notes in preaching. But then they'll leave that kind of, um, kind of gathered setting and then they'll go straight to an entertainment chunk and they'll fill their minds with stuff that is completely opposed to everything they amen in church. Yeah, I knew it was going to get quiet. That's okay. I'm not here for applause. I'm here to help you. And, and so they will, they will imbibe their minds on things that Jesus is repulsed by. And you say, Jeff, tell us what you're talking about. No, let the Holy Spirit tell you. If you're convicted, then he's talking to you. Yeah. 
Because friends, listen, the, the mind is, is, is a source. The mind, heart, spirit, however you want to interconnect the three. Listen, it's, it's just a well. It stores up whatever we put in. And so if we put in good, when, when God's using us and he's promoting us, he draws out good and he offers it to other people. But if, if we put in grime, he's not going to offer that to anybody. There are things, just listen to me. Parents, please hear me on this. There's just stuff our kids don't need to see. There's just stuff our kids don't need to see. You're not being an overbearing, intrusive parent. You're called to parent them, not to be their buddy. You're literally called by God to protect their minds from stuff that they can't handle. Not only as kids, but as adults. And yet it seems like parents have abdicated because they don't want little Johnny to be upset with them. And so what happens is little Johnny comes to church and worships, and then little Johnny goes and mom buys him a ticket to the movie It, which is about a demonic clown that kills children. And and so they go and watch that movie, and they're actually entertained by it. Well, there's a disconnect, a vital disconnect. I'm going to tell you something. I don't even, listen, I don't even care at this point. You, you, you were not able to take Jesus to go see that movie with you. He just said, no, you have to do that on your own, and, and some are okay with it. I'm not just picking on that movie. That's just the one that I read that book when I was 22 years old, and I struggled with it as a lost 22-year-old. I thought, man, this is some demonic, nasty, hellish stuff. And then youth pastors are saying, hey, let's get the youth group together on Friday night. We'll go see it. Okay, I'm going to put up the harp, but I don't, you want, I don't want you to forget what I just played. Do you want to be promoted is what we're talking about. It's a level of consecration. It's a level of consecration. He can't promote a mind that is filled with dung. He just doesn't do it. So exhale a little bit. I'm moving on, but I'm not moving on because the point's not valid. I'm moving on because I've got other things to say. He had steadiness in the presence of power, verse number 8. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the waters of the Jordan. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. Now, we read this because it's in our Bible, and we know the story, and we're familiar with all this stuff, and just amazing supernatural stuff that God did. But Elisha's just, he's been watching Elijah do stuff like this for eight years eight years. And you never see him reacting in the extreme. He just maintains his identity as the servant of the man of God. You you don't find him anywhere in those eight years saying, hey, let me in on this. Hey, how about about my turn? Um, How how about I get a shot? You don't see him going rogue and going over and say, Elijah's over there in that city. I think I'm going to try out my, my stuff in this city. You just see him staying in his identity. I am Elisha, called to serve Elijah. And he was never told up until this very scene when his time of promotion was coming. He was never told. He was anointed eight years before. God had told Elijah, I want you to anoint Elisha. He's going to be the prophet in your place. And we're nearly a decade past that. By the way, God is never in a hurry with our callings. He is so committed to developing the character that will steward the calling before just giving you the calling. He'll tell you what before he turns you loose. And sometimes it's a week, sometimes it's a month, sometimes it's eight years. But Elisha sees these waters part, and he just literally, it's like he looks at Elijah and says, after you, master. 
And they walk across while supernatural walls of water are piling up on the left and on the right, and they're just walking straight through the Jordan River. By the way, it's the last miracle that Elijah ever did on earth. He made a way. He did the impossible. He didn't let an obstacle stop him. He, he, he needed to be on the other side of that. There was no natural way to do it. He had learned that if he abides in the greatness of his God, he can do all things, and he sees water that needs to get out of the way, and he just takes the mantle, whap, he hits it, and the water obeys. That's an anointing. That's a God-touched life that I'll just say it as plainly as I can. I want some of that. Not because I want to put it on TBN, not because I want to let it go viral, but because it's power like that that the world needs to see now. They've heard my sermons and your sermons. They, 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 they've watched the Dove Awards. They get our music. They, they know all about what we've been all about. And what they're saying is, hey, Christians, where's that power y'all say y'all believe in? And I'm going to tell you something. They have a right to ask because I don't see it either. I'm not condemning you. I'm, I'm talking to us and just saying, if we believe it, if we sing about it, if we're praying for it, God, where is it? And I promise you, it's not because he's up there playing peekaboo with it. What is it? It comes at a level of promotion that he's calling us to get our lives wrapped around. Go with me to the last chunk of verses. The first one was outward, honoring other people. The second one was inward, cultivating maturity in your life, discipline. God, help us. Verses 9 through 15 is upward. This is now Elisha living in spiritual passion. Passion. Oh, God, give us passion, genuine passion. First of all, I love this. Oh, Come on, as, as, as upset as some of you are, you have the opportunity to get excited right here. Elijah dreamed big. Verse number nine. So they crossed the water, and here, here it comes. Elijah says to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken up from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Now, we're going to talk about Elijah's reaction to this in a moment. So they're walking through, and here it comes. Through the human instrument of Elijah comes the offer of promotion. Elijah is saying, we're almost there, Elisha. It's almost time. I'm about to go home. Hey, before I do, son, you've served me well. You've been faithful. You've been consecrated. You, you've never stepped out of line with me. We don't find a single word spoken about Elisha where he ever did anything less than admirable for Elijah. And Elijah looks at him in his last moments and he says, why don't you ask me what I can do for you? Tell me what you want me to do for you. And I love Elisha. This is good. He was never presumptuous to ask for anything for himself, but when he was given the opportunity, he was ready. I think this thing had been bubbling up inside of him a long time. He's watching the great prophet Elijah who raises the dead. Raises the dead. 
does supernatural, supernatural miracles, calls down fire from heaven, slaughters the false prophets, gets in the face of a pagan king and queen. I mean, he just he multiplies natural material to feed hungry people. I mean, it's crazy stuff that Elijah did. And when you hang around somebody that operates under anointing like that, I've got a couple of people in my life, when I'm around them, I don't want to preach, I don't want to talk, I want to pull out my pen and paper, I want to learn. And so when you, when you get around people like that, Elijah had been side by side with, uh, Elisha had been side by side with Elijah for eight years. And I guarantee you, so, well, I can't guarantee this, but I strongly believe this. He's probably looking at Elijah saying, I'm half the man that Elijah is. I am half the man, so I'm going to need twice the power. I'm half the man, humility. I need twice the power, Hunger. See, my friends, I'm going to tell you something. The more honest you get about yourself, the, the more you just, and you're not going to, the tendency is if we, if, when we're comparing ourselves, we like to find somebody that's obviously not doing as well as us. And that makes us feel really big and really together and really happening because we've always got uh, Johnny can't do nothing right over here. And so we're comparing. No, 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 no. When you want to get an honest assessment of who you are, you compare yourself to the Son of God, and that takes care of all your pride. It just takes care. It doesn't mean he's smashing. He's not out to shame you or defeat you. It just removes your need to impress, your need to be the best, your need to prove yourself, your need to garner the applause of all of those around you. You stop performing when you recognize that Jesus is everything, and I am, I am measured against him, and yet he has given me my identity through impartation, imputation, that I am as acceptable to the Father through the blood as the Son is acceptable to the Father. Therefore, I have nothing to lose and nothing to prove. And so when you can come to this place of humility where you don't have to be the best, you don't have to be the wealthiest, you don't have to be the prettiest, you don't have to be the smartest, you don't have to be the most successful, you just get to be who God wants you to be. There's a joy in figuring that out. And when you do, you'll come to this place and you'll say, I love you so much. You are astounding and amazing to me, Lord. I need as much of you as you're willing to pour on me if I'm going to live out your plan for me. And so Elisha says it this way, I need twice of whatever he gave you, Elijah. Friend, I want to tell you something. In the name of Jesus, be released from the prison of other people's opinion. You see, the door is open. It's a myth. The devil likes to rattle the bars, but what he doesn't draw your attention to is the fact there's no door on that cage. You can walk out. You just walk right out of there. He wants you focused on the bars. What are they saying about me? Am I pretty enough? Am I strong enough? Am I successful enough? Do I live in the right neighborhood? Do I have the right clothes? Do I, am I impressive? I'm going to get the promotion. Do they love me? Do they hate me? Blah, 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 blah. And, and, and so he, he, he rattles those bars. Ding, 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 ding. He just keeps you focused on the bars. And, and the Holy Spirit just kind of comes up to you and says, you know that Jesus is the door and you, you, you just walk right out. You, you, you really don't have to be controlled by what other people think. And when you come to that place, and by the way, I'll just say this. I know I'm talking fast because the clock is ticking. The, the promotion that God wants to offer you is on the other side of you dying to needing people's approval. It's on the other side of it. To the degree that you still need their applause and approval is the degree that you won't be able to press into all that he has for you because you're serving another master. But when you can come to that place where you just say, hey, I know who I am. I know what I am. I know what I'm not. And you don't have to fake it. 
You know, one of the beauties, and I'm so off track here, but I just feel this is healthy. One of the beauties of my privilege of serving with Pastor Dustin, and he may echo this, but I'll speak for me, is that I get to watch him operate every day in gifts I do not have. And I'm going to tell you, there's only been maybe one or two flickers in a two-year process where I've, I've wanted, I was like, oh, I want that gift. And I, I reach out for it, and the Holy Spirit says, <laughs> and he says, that's Dustin's gift. That's not your gift. I felt like a two-year-old right there. Your siblings, you know, your children, you got one. Mine. Mom says, Mine. But, but, but the beauty is this. There's no competition. I'll never be gifted in those areas where he's gifted. That's why this church needs two of us. But here's, here's the deal. For me, and I think Dustin's testified to this publicly, it took a lot of years to break us to the point where we could enter into an arrangement where it wasn't about us needing to protect our territory. So Elisha is standing there, and he says, Elijah says, well, ask, me, ask me anything. What, what can I do for you? Elisha's like, for real? Elijah, well, he didn't say that, but I did. But Elisha says, I, I need twice of your spirit on me. Now watch this. It's a big ask. Verse number 10, Elisha stretched others. He stretched Elijah by his answer. Elijah says, you have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Here, here's what I love. This is just, man, it's brass tacks here. I just want to live my, my life the way that, that they live their lives in the Bible. What Elijah looks at Elisha, and Elijah had seen God do incredible things. But when Elisha says, I want twice that spirit on me, Elijah says, whoa. He says, bro, you got some spiritual spine. You've asked something hard. It's, I think it's noteworthy that Elisha's request pressed the faith of Elijah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you something. What are you asking for from God that's impossible? Many would say, nothing. Well, why not? Because it's impossible for you, for me. But why do we not ask the hard things? You say, when I travel overseas and I'm in third world settings, they don't have a choice but to ask for the hard things. Because they're in an environment where they don't have luxury, they don't have convenience, they don't have technology, they don't have industry, they have God. And so when a fevered child is, is dying in the bush, that literally some penicillin would conquer whatever is in that body ravaging it, they don't have that. It's impossible. It's a hard thing. And so what do they do? Abba, leave my child with me, Abba. Break the infection, Abba. Crush the head of the enemy trying to steal my offspring. Abba, preserve our heritage. Abba, don't let this happen. And physicians would say, oh, no, that child's going to die. But Abba Father says, you asked and I'll honor it. And he meets them at the point of their faith. Now, listen, that's one story 
And it could be repeated in a hundred different ways, but we're not in the bush, we're in America. And every single person in here has something that they want to see God do, and yet it's impossible. And so our response is not to ask the hard things. It's to repeatedly, repeatedly ask the safe things and then give God a golf clap when it comes to pass. We ask God to do things that we can actually do. And when, when we do it unto him, we're doing it unto him, but it's still us doing it, then we, we talk about what God did. And friends, I just believe that there is a, a component of the heart of God that's saying, my eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth, or my ears run to and fro, fro throughout the whole earth, listening for somebody who will ask me the hard stuff. My ears run to and fro throughout the whole earth, listening for somebody who will ask me the hard things. Good. Friends, I just, and you say, well, Jeff, I'm, I'm not qualified. Well, we're talking about character, and we're talking about hunger, and we're talking about pressing in, and if you'll press into those things, I'm going to tell you, you're qualified, and your heart will have the confidence to ask God the hard things. The bottom line is, is we just don't believe he'll come through, so we don't ask the hard things. I know this is, this is tough this morning, but friends, listen. God knows, literally. There's a lot of ministries that will just pat you on the head. And tell you, You're doing so good. You're awesome. Yeah. Bless your heart. And you know, just pump you up, make you feel good. And by the time you've hit the car, the enemy has taken back whatever just happened in that last hour. But if we'll press into this hard stuff and we'll start saying, hey, I actually believe this is kingdom. I actually believe God is real. I actually believe that there's a war going on and God's not going to lose and he's inviting me to get in on the victory. I actually believe life conquers death. I actually believe grace conquers sin. I actually believe faith conquers doubt. I actually believe love conquers hate. I believe all these things. And so instead of singing about it and preaching about it and saying amen to it, how about we start living it? And so Elisha is blowing the mind of Elijah. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Verse 11, 12. So as they still went and talked, this is Elisha loving deeply. Here's the moment. As they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire. Really happened, by the way. It's not, it's, it's not uh, generated by computer. It really, really happened. Separates the two of them. And Elijah goes up by a whirlwind into heaven, and Elisha saw it. And he cries out, my father, my father. And then that enigmatic statement, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And then the sad words, and he saw him no more. And so he takes care, hold of his own clothes, and he, and he tore them into pieces. Listen. And all of the miracles and all of the supernatural and all of the, the fire and the power and the resurrection and the, the multiplication of resources and all this crazy supernatural stuff that Elisha watched Elijah do at the end of eight years when Elijah, I mean, just, just before I go there, they're standing there together. And in an instant, in a moment of time from heaven comes chariots that are made visibly from flames. And they're drawn by horses that are visibly outlined and shapen and fashioned in, in a flame material. And the Bible does not say that Elijah, Elijah stepped into a chariot. With, the, the Bible actually says the horses and the chariots served to separate the two men. So it's almost the picture of the horses and the chariots going like this around Elijah and Elisha being separated from his master. And his response was, 
my father, my father. He's been referred to primarily as his master, but in the moment where he's losing him, the relational flow comes out, and we find there that in his heart for Elijah, in the midst of all of the supernatural and all the power and all the ministry, it was just boils down to that one thing that, that it's the substance of the kingdom, love. He loved them. He adds in the note, the horsemen, uh, the uh, horsemen of Israel and the char- chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And that's a reference to the defense of Israel. And as Elijah is being taken up, he was the mouth of God. He was the defense against un- unrighteousness. He was the representative of God. And it was a sense of loss. So he tears his own garment. It's okay because he's not going to need any more. He's about to get a new mantle. But he tears that mantle off of him. And he's mourning, and you find out that in the midst of it, as he watches Elijah, the Bible says he saw it, by the way. There's some things that God has for you, and you'll only see them if you keep pressing in. If you don't stop at Gilgal, where you got consecrated and committed, but you didn't go any further. And you you don't stop at Bethel with all the supernatural and the signs and wonders, and wow, a ladder to heaven, awesome! But you move from that, and you you don't stop at Jericho, that place of your great victory, but you just keep pressing in, and you cross over your Jordan, and it's on the other side of that impossible crossing that God has some great stuff stored up for you. But you'll never see it if you stop at one of those previous places. You never quit. Never, 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 never quit. Never quit. Never give in to discouragement. Never listen to the lie of the enemy that you can't do it another day. Never draw back. Never stop and say, this is good enough. Never. When God changes everything around you, you don't stop and find the unchangeable place. You press in wherever he is. That's where you're to be. And if you'll keep going with him, You'll see it. He saw Elijah go up. Best we can tell, nobody else did. Even the 50 prophets that are hanging around like cameraless paparazzi, they didn't see it. How do I know? Because the end of the chapter says, hey, let's go look for him. That's what they said. They said, let's go look for him. Maybe he's over there. And Elijah's like, you're not going to find him. They're like, let's go look for him. And finally, Elijah says, I want to go look for him. Go look for him. You're not going to find him. They didn't see what happened. It's only for the eyes of those who continue. Oh man, I feel just this strong nudge. Some of you are on the verge of giving up. You're on the verge of giving up. You've pressed in long enough without breakthrough and you're tired of pressing. And the Lord, I'm not even going to try to cloak it. The Lord's saying to you today, not today. You do not quit today. This is not the season of drawing back. This is a season of pressing forward. You don't quit. You don't quit on people. You don't quit on ministries. You don't quit on kingdom ventures that haven't borne the level of fruit that you had hoped because you had it on your eye calendar that fruit should have been popping up by now. You don't quit. You don't quit when things change. I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me. You're in a church. This is not the church of of the safe haven. This is not the church of quiet and calm. This is not the church of crystal blue waters with tiny ripples and ocean breezes. It's not that church. This is the church of thunder and power and transformation and transition. And we're just getting started. 
He said, Jeff, I don't see that right. You haven't pressed in far enough yet. Keep pressing in with us. And I'm going to tell you, it's coming. You're going to be challenged in the kingdom. Therefore, we ought to be challenged in our churches. I'm almost there. You got to go, you got to go. I'm hanging out for a few more minutes. Elisha expected much. So he's still not done. He tears his own cloak. Then look in verse 13. He takes up the cloak or the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. Isn't that cool? Elijah's going up and he leaves his mantle. And he went back and he stood on the bank of the Jordan. So Elisha is now standing at the Jordan. And he takes the cloak of Elijah that had fallen off of him. And he strikes the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? So I love this. First miracle in Elisha's life mimicked the last miracle in Elijah's life. The last thing Elijah did, picture yourself and you're Elisha. You crossed over Jordan and Elijah parted it. And Elijah gets caught up. You're done wiping your tears. You turn around and there's the Jordan River flowing. Yeah, it's, it's back to its normal state. Best we can tell, Elisha had never worked a miracle at this point. He's got that mantle. He now knows he's the prophet in Israel. He had been serving Elisha. He takes that mantle. He walks up to the bank of the Jordan, and he's going to do something he doesn't know how to do, but he's seen somebody else do, but he has no experience with. You talk about faith. You can't fake it when you've got to get across the river. He didn't have a surfboard or a jet ski. He, he, he has a mantle. And you don't make it across a river, especially the Jordan, with a mantle unless God does something. And so listen to his statement, too. It's not a statement of doubt. It's a statement of confidence. It carries the flavor of, get a load of this. What? Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And the Lord says, right here, son. As I was with Elijah, I'm going to be with you. And so Elisha, and he's not strutting, but he's walking through. He's coming right through the Jordan River. And all doubt is removed. His days of identity as a servant to another man are over. God has promoted him. Doesn't mean that he's now proud or egotistical or presumptuous that others would serve him. It just means he finished his assignment as a servant. The time had come as, as Elijah knew that it was his last day as the prophet. Elisha now knew it was his first day. And he's got a brand new assignment in life and everything was going to change for him. But it, he never would have stepped into it if he hadn't endured and honestly fulfilled those eight years of menial, comparatively dull servanthood. But he finished that phase very well and he expected much when he hit the waters. And so the very last thing, worship team, come on up. Everybody said, amen, hallelujah. Elisha was promoted by God. The end of verse number 14. When he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side or the other. Elisha went over. Now watch this. Those 50 goofballs are still hanging out. When the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite of them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him. And they bowed to the ground before him. They honored him. 
You see, nobody heard that conversation between Elijah and Elisha. Elijah, Elijah says, what can I do for you before I'm taken up? Elisha says, I need a double portion of your spirit on me. And the first testimony that Elisha hears with his natural ears is those sons of the prophets saying, what, what Elijah had is now resting on Elisha. It's confirmation from the Lord. And so, as he was initially called to Elijah, now he's called to Israel. So what's the takeaway? The takeaway is all of us serve God by serving people. Let's not talk about serving God when we don't serve people. It's impossible. God has no needs, so we actually don't really serve him. We serve people, and God renders that, receives that as if we were serving him personally. God doesn't have a need he needs met by any man. He invites us to participate in what he's doing to the kingdom, and he says, I want you to serve each other. At the end of the age, the testimony is given, hey, you visited, Jesus gives the testimony, we visited you, you visited me in prison. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And the people say, well, when did we do that? He says, oh, when you did it to other people. You see, friends, that's servanthood. That's the foundational layer. And when you will embrace that and live that out, whether it's a two-year period, a five-year period, but you're serving people. You say, oh, that sounds horrible. Really? Sounds really biblical to me. Sounds really, really biblical to me. We meet the needs of others, and we trust God to meet our needs through himself or through other people. All, all through this message, I felt so, I, I, I bet I've preached over here more than I've preached over here today. It's the way it feels, because my heart is just pulled to those that are in their 20s and, and late teens, because I want you to know you're destined for greatness. You're destined for greatness. Your generation is going to have people that are seemingly ordinary do extraordinary things, and it's going to come through series of promotion. But, but if you're ever going to walk in what Elisha walked in at the Jordan, you're going to have to walk in what Elisha walked in for the eight years prior. So you don't resent your parents, you serve your parents. All the parents said amen. The young people are like, you've gone over this morning. You serve the least of these. By the way, it's not just the young people. You serve the orphans, you serve the widows, you serve the hungry, you serve the, the, the ones that can't help themselves. You serve at the front door if you want a local church ministry. You serve, you find something to do, and you do it as unto the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, Hebrews 6.10 says it would be unrighteous for him to forget your work. It would be unrighteous for God to forget your labor of love. And what is that work and labor of love that God says I'll never forget? It's that you ministered to the saints and you continue to minister, Hebrews 6.10. And so what he says is this. He says, you just start doing it. Start serving. Start giving. Start sacrificing. Quit keeping score. Quit talking about who owes you. Erase that from your memory banks and just put on the mantle of Elisha as he served Elijah. And then one day, I may put the mantle of Elisha on you. That post-Jordan mantle. So, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we all need this. I need it. God, we want promotion because we just believe it, it introduces deeper experience with you. Wherever you are, we want to be there. 
And so, Lord, I pray for faith this morning that you'll cultivate a hunger in the hearts of those that know that you've called them, those that are tired in the midst of a menial, laborious season of working, serving, without the abundance of fruit, without yet the breakthrough, with all of those things, God, that you put in our heart to hunger after, when, when they are delayed, I pray, Lord, for those that are in that season of delay, that they won't quit, that it won't become a season of denial. So God, I just pray, Holy Spirit, let there be a baptism of, of endurance, a baptism of expectation, a baptism of being willing to ask the hard things of you, which aren't hard at all for you. So Lord, I pray that before I leave this earth, that I'll raise the dead, literally. I pray, Lord, that I'll see limbs regrown. I pray that I will prophesy with a clarity as an oracle of God. I pray that I will love more greatly than I've ever loved in my life. Shift my heart. I pray that New Bridge Church will be a church that is willing to risk embarrassment and stigma by pressing into the greatest things that you have, Father. I pray that we will not become a settled church. And I pray, Father, that if that spirit ever invades this assembly, that the leaders of this assembly will refuse to play it safe. I pray for an anointing of courage on our elders, anointing of courage on our ministry heads. I pray for an elevation of anointing and wisdom to accompany that anointing on the women of God in this church. I pray for holy fire to come out of our mouths and in our hands. And Lord, I pray when we lay our hands on the sick, they're healed instantly. I pray, Father, that there will be a crop of flaming evangelists that will be raised up Lord, that among our students that there will be a, an outpouring of an evangelistic unction where they will bring other young people to Christ. I pray, Lord, for the spirit of fear to be broken off of us, especially the paranoid fear of other people's opinions. Father, drag that Leviathan out of this place and cut its head off in the name of Jesus. Kill that python in the name of Jesus. In its place, Father, give us the pulse of your love. Give us the pulse of your love, Lord.